We are so glad that you have chosen to stream this audio, and we hope it will encourage you in your faith and your walk towards Christ-likeness. As a side note, we pray that this audio sermon is just supplemental in your relationship with Christ, and in no way replaces the church you are plugged into or the pastor that God has put in your life to shepherd and care for your soul. And so with that said, please enjoy this sermon. We have prayed that God would use it in your life. Bible or on your device to Luke chapter 5. We're going to continue our series in the book of Luke this morning. Uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 32. And as you're turning there, I want, I want to ask a, a question. Uh, ha, have you ever had a friend that, that you, and, you and this friend were so different that it just didn't really make sense to anyone else that you were friends? It didn't make sense why you guys hung out so much. It, it didn't make sense because, because you guys were so, so different that to everyone else, your friendship, your connection just didn't make sense. Well, Brittany and I, you know, we've kind of gotten bored lately with some of our Netflix shows, and so we've, we've gone over to this, you know, CBS streaming app, and we've been trying some shows over there, uh, and there's this show on CBS All Access called The Odd Couple, so maybe some of you have seen this, uh, it, it, and it's about a friendship. It's about this friendship between, between two guys who, like, when you look at them, they're so different that their connection, their friendship makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. It's about these two men, these two men, Oscar Madison, who's who, who's this kind of endearing slob, you know, and then and then there's this guy named Felix Unger, who's 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 more of an uptight neat freak. And, and as I kind of think about their friendship, I, I I can't help thinking about how I'm a little less neat than Pastor Cameron, and Pastor Cameron and I are pretty good friends, you know, and so I see a lot of us in, in that. Uh, but as I'm watching this show and I see these two guys and their friendship, like, they're so different, and everyone who's also friends with them thinks it makes no sense in the world that these guys are such good friends. Well, today in our passage, we're going to see Jesus develop some friendships with sinners. And to the, to the people around him, to the religious elite, to the Pharisees and the scribes, those, those who, who, who say they love God and they want to pursue God and they want to pursue biblical values and ethics and lifestyle, this friendship that Jesus has with sinners, his association with them, his connection with them, it doesn't make any sense. They're so different, and the Pharisees have some real problems with this, as we're going to see. But today, what we're going to see is that Jesus is a friend of sinners, and that's good news for you and me. So let's look together at Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. Here's what Luke writes for us. He says, it says, after this, he, talking about Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Would you pray with me just one more time? 
Father God, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and, and we thank you that his call is to sinners, sinners like, like me, sinners like all of us. God, you've come and you've called us to follow after you. Would you help us to do so? Would you help us to walk in repentant faith this morning? Would you help us as we seek to live lives of repentant faith, as we seek to obey those two most important words in all the world from Jesus? Follow me. God, help us to do that by your spirit's strength and by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I want to point out three things this morning from this, this short passage, uh, and, and I hope they'll be helpful for us as we continue to walk through Luke and as we look at what uh, Jesus' relationship is to sinners this morning, as he is the friend of sinners. So look with me first, uh, that, that Jesus calls us to do something. And so the question then is, are, are you following him? And so in verse 27 and 28, we read this. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And so we have to ask ourselves, what, what was a tax collector in this day and age? You know, you and I, we're beginning to think about, okay, you know, some of us, you know, maybe some of you have already filed your taxes this year. Uh, you're ahead of the game. I, th I think most of us are probably uh, a little behind the game, and most of us will probably file them the night before. Um, but, but we kind of, you know, we have this idea of, of the IRS and taxes in our, in our context, and, and it's a little different in, in the ancient world. You see, Rome was the ruling power of the day. They were, to the Jewish people, a, a, a very oppressive regime. They, they, they ruled the world and, and established their version of peace by power, by, by brute force. You don't rule a, an area that is as wide and, and as far spread as the Romans did in the ancient world uh, unless you have a, a gigantic army that can enforce it. And, and so they had a system in place that was based on their sheer strength and power. And it was oppressive to the peoples who, who, who didn't have this kind of power. And there was, the, and in terms of funding that army, funding that regime, you had to have some significant funds to do that. If you have such a, such a, a widespread, massive army that you can rule the amount of land that the Romans did in the ancient world, then you've got a lot of money coming in as well. And the way that they would do that is by tax collectors. You see, tax collectors were, were kind of like gangsters, they, they got rich off of the weak in specific locations. So you know how in movies you see, you see gangsters who will, you know, they have a block. You know, maybe there's a block of shops and things, and in this neighborhood they, they go into these uh, shops and they expect payment for protection. When in reality, what they're getting is payment to, to continue their oppressive regime, their oppressive rule. You see, tax collectors in this day were, were very similar to that. They, they were like gangsters who got rich off of the weak. And they kind of functioned as, as functional Gentiles. So, so a lot of times Jewish people would, would go and, or, or not a lot of the time, but some, like Levi here. Levi is a Jewish name, and some scholars think that Levi was actually Matthew, 
who writes another one of the Gospels about Jesus. And so what Jesus is doing in this man's life is really significant because this man actually writes an account of Jesus' life and ministry. But anyways, Jewish people who would go serve this Roman government as a tax collector, they were kind of like functional Gentiles because of their betrayal and their contamination in the eyes of the religious Jewish people. You see, by their association, they had been contaminated in the eyes of people like the Pharisees. So the Pharisees saw tax collectors as, as those who had betrayed the Jewish people, as those who were kind of like functional Gentiles because of their association with the Gentiles, with those who were not of the people of God. And so they have some serious problems when, when Jesus begins to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. And, and so, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's easier to understand it like this. There's, if... Uh, just imagine if, if the Nazis or if ISIS had been successful in, in world domination. They had established a wide-ranging kingdom or rule, and, and they'd been successful in this. And then your neighbor actually goes to work for them and, and to collect taxes from you for them. Because he knows that he can get rich quick by working for them and stealing from you. And so, you know, tax collectors, what they would do is they would work for the Roman government and, and they, would, they would have this amount that they were supposed to get to fund the Roman government and then they would charge on top of that to fund their own pocket. And so tax collectors were, were viewed with lots of disdain. They were, they were evil, wicked men who were oppressing God's people. And so for Jesus to be a friend of tax collectors and sinners was a, a huge deal. It didn't make sense to anybody. And Jesus, he sees this tax collector named Levi sitting at this tax booth doing something that would have been seen as, as awful and wicked and evil and oppressive to God's people. And he looks at him and he watches him. And then he speaks to him. And he says two words. He says, Follow me. And then look at Levi's response. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So, so what are we talking about here? What's Jesus getting at? What, what we're talking about here is the idea of discipleship. So Jesus is, is a master teacher, a rabbi, who's, who's choosing disciples to follow him. And, and following a rabbi or teacher in this day, it, it meant devoting yourself to learning his teachings and his way of life. It was a total life change. You were to learn from his words and his actions. You were to learn knowledge and wisdom. It changed everything about your life. And eventually, one day, you would take what you had learned, and then you would teach others to do likewise. You, as the disciple, would make other disciples. You see, discipleship involves leaving everything to follow Jesus. It leaves, sometimes that means leaving jobs or money. Sometimes it means leaving certain, certain family contexts and close proximity to move elsewhere. Sometimes it, it means, you know, the end of a relationship of some kind in your life and, and the start of a new one. You see, the idea behind following Jesus is that nothing is as important in your life anymore. 
Instead, Jesus is what is most important. Following after him is what takes precedent over everything. He is the most important person and thing in your life. You leave everything to find everything in Jesus, as we said a couple of weeks ago. And, and then that transforms and reshapes how you approach everything else in life. It, it reshapes how you approach your job and, and your finances. It reshapes how you approach your family, your friendships, your relationships. It, it reshapes everything in your life. So, so the question is, have you left everything to follow Jesus? Are you following him? Or is there still something in your life that's more important to you? You see, there's nothing more important that you will do in your life than respond with repentant faith to the words from Christ, follow me. And that's what Jesus is saying to you this morning. Yeah, your, your job, it's important. Yes, your family and your relationships, your friendships, those are important things in life. Yes, and enjoying life is actually important. Did you catch that? Christianity isn't, isn't, isn't the cosmic, it's not about this cosmic killjoy. It's, it's actually about learning to enjoy life as God made it. It's, it's not about a diminishing joy, but, but an increasing joy. You see, following Christ leads us to the fullest joy in life, a kind of joy that we can't find anywhere else because the kinds of joy that we find elsewhere when we replace this, the, the, the primary relationship that we're meant to have in life with God through Christ, when we replace that with something else, the kind of joy we find, it, it never lasts. And it's not as full as it would be if Christ were first, if following him meant everything to us, if, if we left everything to follow him. You see, the way to the fullest joy in life, the way to the most meaningful relationships, the way to the most satisfying career is by putting Jesus and his will for your life first then all of those things, they fall into their proper place because you and I, we were made for God's glory. And and our good is actually found in that glory, in praising God and worshiping him and following Christ. That's where our good is found. So Jesus calls us to do something. Are you following him? Look with me at verse 29 and 30, as, as we look at this second idea that Jesus was a friend of sinners, and then the question is, are you and I? Are we a friend of sinners? It says, and Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And so this man, Levi, he had this great feast in his house, which means Levi had some dollars, Levi was, was somewhat wealthy. He, he had some resources, enough to where he could host a great feast in his house after he decided to follow Jesus. And then he has a, this large company of friends. He's got lots of friends. And he's got lots of friends who are like him. He's got lots of other tax collector friends who, who, who the religious elite would, would have looked on with disdain. So this is this, this, is this party, this huge gathering with, with a bunch of people that in the eyes of everyone else, Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with. 
And so Levi hosts this great feast. He, he invites all his tax collector buddies, and they're reclining at table because in the ancient world, you, you reclined at table. You, you didn't just sit in the chair kind of like we do. It was a little different. But they're eating together. And, and look at what it says in verse 30. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, the problem here that the Pharisees have with what Jesus is doing is that he's eating a meal with tax collectors and sinners. He's eating a meal with people that they don't think he should be around and hang out with. You see, fellowship was a huge deal in the ancient world. When you ate and drank with someone, it communicated a religious compatibility between you. In other words, it, it, it communicated that you were, you were, you were, there was some equality and sameness between you. So, so, so when Jesus eats with, with someone like this, he's communicating to the Pharisees there's this kind of compatibility here that they don't think should be present. You see, when, when we eat and drink together, we communicate that we are of equal value to God. That, that, that we have the same need for God, that, that we can have the same relationship with God. There, there's this compatibility and this, this, this level playing field. And so this is what it's communicating to the Pharisees when Jesus has this meal with tax collectors, with sinners. You see, a, a little bit about the Pharisees. You see, the Pharise- that word Pharisee, it comes from this Hebrew word that means the separate one. And so, so, so they had gotten this name put on them that, that communicated that they were those who, who believed they needed to separate themselves from everybody else. That's what holiness looked like for them. And, and it's important to note that, like, you know, kind of, the Pharisees get this really bad rap, okay? Nobody likes the Pharisees. Nobody wants to be a Pharisee, okay? When we read the Bible, it, it's clear that, like, th- these are not the guys you want to be, but this is not how it would have been in this day. The Pharisees were those who, who, who fought for biblical values. They were those who, who really valued Scripture. They were those who really valued their relationship with God. They, they wanted to be as biblical as they could be in every way possible. And so what they would do is they would take the law and the scriptures and then they would seek to help people understand how they could apply it in daily life. You see, the Pharisees were all about biblical ethics and worship. They were about living a biblical life. Kind of a different perspective on the Pharisees than you've probably heard before. You see, but the Pharisees were very devoted to the scriptures. And they wanted people to understand how to live them out. The problem is they missed some things. They missed some really important things. You see, but I want you to notice something here. You can fight for the right things in the wrong way. You you can argue for biblical values, biblical ethics, and lifestyle. You can argue for scriptural things in an unchristlike, in an uncompassionate, and in, in, in an anti-Christian way, you can fight for the wrong thing or for the right things in the wrong way, and that's what we see the Pharisees doing. 
They, they, they had some, some desires to see biblical ethics and lifestyle held up as it should be. But they misinterpreted some scriptures and, and they approached their whole idea very wrongly and, and, and in a very ungodly way. You see, G- Jesus, though, we see him being a friend of sinners here. And the question is, are you and I? So wh- who do you hang out with? Who are your friends? Are, are they all religious? Are they all just like you? Are, are, are they all so committed to God and the Bible as you are? Do you have friends that are not yet believers or, or who, don't, who don't, you know, even if they're maybe believers, they don't have this whole following Jesus thing all figured out yet. They still got some growing to do. They still got some things they need to learn and, and, and some things they, they need to see happen in terms of change in life. Do you have friends like this who don't have it all figured out, who are not exactly like you, who, who, who don't even know if this whole Jesus thing is real yet? Because if not, that's a problem. If all your friends are exactly like you, it, it, then you might ask yourself, am I more like the Pharisees than I thought? Because oftentimes we are. You see, Jesus modeled a, a kind of ministry and evangelism and, and love for people here that often is not present in our lives. It, it's a problem if, if we find it hard to hang out with, with loved ones who are gay. It, it, it's a problem if, if we find it difficult to be around people who identify as transgender. It's a problem if, if, if we can't have relationships with and, and, and seek out in love those who are addicted to drugs or pills or alcohol. It's a problem if, if we're always uncomfortable around the homeless and the poor. You see, it's, it's a problem if we can't have friendships with atheists and agnostics. If we can't learn how to love Muslims well. If we can't have relationships with those who are tax collectors and sinners, then, friends, we are not Christ-like. You see, we need to be able to emulate this kind of love for people that Jesus does here because that love for people comes out of our love for God. God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The question is, do you and I? Because if we do, then we will have friendships with those who don't agree with us. We will have friendships with those who, you know, maybe some of our brothers and sisters in Christ, or at least some church people, it doesn't make sense to them. If we are living life in a Christ-like way, then we will be a friend of sinners just like Jesus has been a friend to us. Because, friend, how did you come to know Christ if someone wasn't this for you? If Jesus wasn't this for you? 
You see, because there was a day when you didn't know Christ, when you weren't like you are now, when Jesus sought you out in love, when it didn't make sense for him to associate with you at all, and Jesus pursued you. Maybe he pursued you through the life and love and and words of another believer, one who had already decided to follow him. So the question is, I mean, Jesus is a friend of sinners, but are you? Let's keep moving and, and look at this third idea that Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. So do you, do you realize that that means you? Do I realize that that means me? Verse 31, and Jesus answered them, Remember, they asked the question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so he's going to give them an answer here. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Let me just kind of translate that for us a a little bit. When when he says those who are well, Jesus, Jesus doesn't necessarily mean those who are actually well. He means those who, who think they are who don't realize that they're sick. And when he says those who are sick, he means those who know that they need help, those who know that they need saving, those who know that they need Christ. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So so, so Jesus is saying, if you're so righteous, you don't really need me then, do you? I mean, I should be spending my time with those who aren't right with God, who actually need a healer, who need a physician, who need a redeemer. And so, so Jesus kind of answers their question in, in a very kind of punchy, almost sarcastic way. And, and, and then he says what he's come to do. Did you catch that? He says in verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, meaning what Jesus has come to do is he's come to call sinners to repentance. Repentance is, is this idea of a, a complete 180. It is, it is a, a total change of direction. It's you're walking one way and then you walk the other way. It's, it's a total change. It's a 180 degree shift. It's, it's a change of direction, a, a different life, a Godward life where once you were headed away from God and towards sin, and now you're headed towards God through Christ and towards holiness. It's a 180-degree shift. It's repentance is to turn. You see, Jesus, he, he's not telling the Pharisees and religious folks here that, that they are actually well and that they don't need him. He's sarcastically pointing out that they're arrogantly ignorant of their need of him. And, and he does so by telling them that he's going to spend his time with those who know that they're sick. He's going to call sinners to repentance, and those who are aware of their sin, they, you know, they'll actually turn. They'll repent. So let me, let me put it for you this way. Have you ever insisted that you didn't need a doctor when you actually did? All all the men should probably be saying yes, and then all the ladies are probably saying, yeah, last week when he needed to go, I I tried to convince him, and he didn't. You know, maybe maybe right now, some of us are more inclined to going when we feel sick because of the pandemic. 
But a lot of times in life, you know, we, sometimes we, we, get, we get stubborn, right? And, and though we're actually sick, though we actually need help, though we actually need a doctor's assistance and, and medication and, 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 and such, though we actually need these things, we refuse to turn to go get them. We refuse to receive the help that we need. Instead, we let our pride get in the way. We let our arrogance get in the way. And, and we say, no, I've got this, as, as though we're like superhuman. But then here's the funny part, is, is when your spouse is sick, you say, oh, honey, you need to go to the doctor. And, and it's as though what we believe is like we're superhuman and we don't need that stuff that all you peasants need. You know, all, all, you, all you regular human folk you should go see the doctor, but when I'm sick, I'm fine. You know, ha have you ever had that experience where you just refuse to go get the help that you needed? I think we all have. And this is exactly what the religious people do here. This is exactly what the Pharisees are doing here. They refuse to see their own sickness and their own sin and their own need, but they're quick to point it out in others. They see it easily, as everybody would have seen it, in the tax collectors and the sinners, they see it clearly. And so they're quick to point it out in others, but they're slow to see it in themselves. So we have to ask ourselves, do you and I, do, do we allow religious pride, or maybe, maybe this is a good term for it, theological pride? Maybe, maybe we know a lot of Bible, we know a lot of theology, maybe we've even studied, you know, formally. Do we allow a pride, a religious or a theological pride, to, to keep us from seeing our need for grace? Do you allow pride to, to make you constantly critical of others? Are you, always, are you always confident in your interpretation of Scripture and critical of others? Do you feel the need to, to correct others on a regular basis? Even when you're among long-time, lifetime, even believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, do you always feel the need to, to correct them when their theology is just a, a little off and if it was just tweaked, then it would be right? Do you find it easier to see where others need to grow than, than where you need to grow? Do you find yourself questioning why your brother or sister in Christ would, would be such good friends with atheists? would be so kind to a homosexual couple, would spend so much time reaching out to the poor or the marginalized. Do you wonder these things without always or even often confronting the obvious areas of sin in your own life? Do you wonder why people would be able to be friends with these kinds of people who, who aren't following Christ and not have to always tell them how sinful they are? Do you wonder why they can hang out and laugh together? Do you wonder why they can have a real connection, a real relationship? And not every conversation is pointing out all that's wrong with them. Or, you know, here's maybe the more devastating question. Are you thinking right now of all the other people in your life that you know that need these questions?
instead of thinking, is this me? Because I think that's what we often do, right? We, we're constantly thinking when, when a preacher's talking, we're thinking, oh yeah, so-and-so needs to hear this. But friend, the first question we need to ask is, is this God's word for us? Is, is this what God would have us see and what he would expose in us? Because we all have this religious, theological pride at times that gets in the way of us being a friend to sinners like Jesus was a friend to us. And it actually gets in the way of genuine and helpful and, and life-changing evangelism and discipleship. It actually prevents these things from happening in some of the ways that they need to. Because oftentimes our, our actions, our words, our demeanor, our, our tone, the, the way we live life and the, and the way that we refuse to enter into relationships with those who are different, who don't believe like we do, it, it just turns people off to the gospel before we ever proclaim it. So, but here's what I'll, I want to leave you with this question, not about others, but about you. Are you thinking right now of others whom these questions seem to apply to rather than asking God to show you how to expose your own pride? Because if you answered yes to any of the questions we've talked about this morning, you might be more like the Pharisees than you think. But if you answered no to all of them, I think it's even more likely that you are. You see, we have pride in us, and, and may God drive it out of us as he shows us our need for Christ. Because, friends, Jesus was a friend to sinners like you and me, and we need a friend. Would you pray with me? God, would you help us this morning to see our own sin? Would you help us to see our need for you? Would you help us to honor you with the life that you've given us, would you help us to do a 180 turn and turn towards you? God, show us our pride. Help us to see it so that we might turn from it and trust in you. Jesus, thank you that you are a friend to sinners like me and like my friends. Would you help us to go and do likewise? And God, I pray that many, many, many would come to know the saving name of Christ because we lived as you did. It's in your glorious, mighty, awesome, and beautiful name we pray. Amen. Like me and like my friends, would you help us to go and do likewise? And God, I pray that many, many, many would come to know the saving name of Christ because we lived as you did. It's in your glorious, mighty, awesome, and beautiful name we pray. Amen.